guys, welcome to the Journey of Ruth podcast. My name is Courtney Lohman, and I'm so excited that you've joined us today. All right, so this is our final podcast for 2019, and I wanted to start it by thanking you guys so much from the bottom of my heart for the support that you have shown for the podcast in the last few months. I mean, when I started this thing in August, I really had no idea what to expect, and you guys have been so encouraging to me. Your faithfulness to the show and your encouraging words that you send my way, they just keep wanting me to push farther and talk about different subjects and bring on more guests. So we'll take a break for the next two weeks. So the week of Christmas and the week of New Year's, and then we'll be back with our first episode of 2020 on January 6th. And I'm already working. I'm already working at recording and preparing the episodes for next year. And I'm excited for what's coming. Today's guest is a special one for me. Pat Hale Jr. is a pastor, a stewardship instructor, he's a concrete project manager, and he's my dad. (laughs) Uh, The wisdom that I've collected over the years, I mean, it really started with my parents. My dad was a pastor when I was growing up, and so that allowed me to watch him and my mom and how they approached ministry separately and together. During my trip this last week to North Carolina, I had the chance to sit down with him so he could share some of that wisdom with you guys. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, everybody, this is my dad. Hi, everybody in Radio Land. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps asking me if I'm going to have him on my radio show. I keep explaining to him that it's not a radio show. Yeah, well. It's a podcast. And it bugs her, so I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like a truly good dad uh, exactly it's my job mm-hmm. keep you honest so this is my dad pat hale jr jr pat hale jr his full name is william patterson hale jr absolutely or Alois- <laughs> aloysius mcgonagall p hale oh yes if my father was on the other end of the phone <laughs> yeah um i know that <clears throat> when i started this podcast the whole idea was to share wise people oh. with so why'd you ask me to be well, on <laughs> <laughs> still wondering if it's a good thing so yeah, you have the next hour yeah. to convince me that it's a good idea yeah if it's not good you don't have to put this out there perfect <laughs> okay good <laughs> in all honesty though um i mean i've watched you and mom walk through mm. being in ministry and deal with us as kids, you know, I've watched you guys parent us, and so I've learned a lot. So I just want to ask some questions of you. Okay. And I don't know. They're probably stories I already know. Maybe some new stuff will come out, but... I don't know. Anything's <laughs> we'll possible. You do the two of us together. So my first question that I want to ask you is just tell us about yourself and what you do now, where you're from. Wow. That's kind of a that's that's covering sixty one years. I know. So yeah, I, I know. How much you're time old, do we have? That's wow, <laughs> wow. Well, you know, at my new job, because I wear a hard hat and I have a white beard, and I have a muffler, they started calling me Papa Smurf. <laughs> so now, because they say you look like Papa Smurf, and everybody I mentioned that to, they go, "You do, you do." <laughs> but so now they just call me Papa. Oh. Yeah. So Well your grandbabies call you pops. That's so it. Not so too it's far fairly away. close. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Wow, 61 years from Las Vegas to Arizona to Texas and now in North Carolina, actually mm -hmm. in the uh, suburb of Charlotte called Pineville. Um, interesting, you know, because I know we're going to talk about ministry. Yeah. And uh, as a young man, 17, 18, um, and then getting a call to ministry at 19. Uh, actually, it wasn't a call to ministry. I just surrendered my life. Have no idea what that meant. But understanding what everybody understood then, that meant, that meant I was either going to be a missionary or a pastor. Hmm. And here I am some 41 or two years later, mm -hmm. and I realize now you can be an ordained plumber or an <laughs> ordained electrician or an ordained concrete superintendent. Yeah. And have just as much impact as you would as a pastor or a missionary. Right. Because in essence, uh, I'm a missionary and a pastor, but I'm on a job site working with, oh, 10 to 20 guys, but there's probably uh, 35 to 50 guys on the job. My mm -hmm. crew just happens to be anywhere between 10 and 20. And you guys are pouring concrete. <clears throat> pouring concrete. We are a post-tension concrete, post-tension slab company. So that means whenever you see a concrete slab and you see cables running through it, mm -hmm. that's what we do. Okay. So that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, but we're here in North Carolina and, um, you know, having pastored in Arizona for 17 years, I was a youth pastor for seven mm -hmm. and, um, and then about, um, 12 years ago, almost 13, uh, the Lord, uh, moved us out of pastoring ministry and moved me into the Christian financial arena. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about um, mutual funds and uh, financial planning and uh, worked for the uh, last 10 years um, in a Christian investment firm in Texas. Yeah. And uh, so that's a lot of different things, but... Well, and I feel like it's gone full circle because you started in concrete. Yes, correct. While you were in school. Before you were even born. Yeah, before I was mm -hmm. born. Yeah. And then you were still doing concrete when you were doing youth ministry. That's correct. And then you moved into full-time pastoring. Right. And then you moved into the financial world and... Right. Helping churches fundraise... You're right. Mm -hmm. For their campaigns. That's correct. And now you, here you are back in concrete. Right. Do you have a different perspective of concrete this many years later? Uh, yeah, it's still hard work. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. You know, the, we, we always, I always tell people I can guarantee three things about concrete. Oh, boy. One, it will crack. Uh-huh. Number two, it won't burn. And number three, nobody's going to steal it. So, I mean, I guess it's yeah. true. <laughs> and then the real techie engineers can say, well, really, it does burn. Oh, come on. Don't ruin my illustration. Or my <laughs> Anyway. So oh, did you use that in the pulpit to preach it? I have done that in the pulpit, actually. <laughs> and uh, so, but uh, so my perspective of, of concrete now is different because I'm not actually uh, swinging a pick and shovel. I'm not pounding stakes. I'm not finishing concrete. I supervise a, a crew of concrete uh, technicians, if you will. They're mm -hmm. carpenters, they're uh, um, rod busters, they're laborers, uh, they're finishers. Mm -hmm. And so my job is to build a building. 
You did end up in concrete and then led to ministry. Right. But ministry is not where you thought you would be when you were a teenager. No, I thought I was going to be in construction. Yeah. Yeah, I had, I went through, I did, I did high school just because that's what you did. <laughs> well, let's go back a little bit. The home I grew up in was divorced twice by my junior year in high school. Mm -hmm. And so I was a very insecure person. I wasn't a very good student, wasn't a very good athlete. I could drink alcohol pretty good and smoke dope pretty good and do pornography. Mm -hmm. I could do all those things, and that was very much a part of Las Vegas, uh, almost encouraged, if you will, and um, in the whole the whole culture. But um, so when when my parents divorced at sixteen, my mom, uh, my dad, and my stepmom, when they divorced, uh, when I was sixteen, uh, I was basically on my own. I was living with my dad, um, but that was a home where. You know, you don't tell. You just do whatever you want to do. and uh, but I, So I was not living a very good life. And yet I had accepted Christ as a 9 or a 10-year-old boy. And, and my mom and dad uh, and my brother and I, Vic, we were all baptized at West Oakey Baptist Church in mm -hmm. Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And um, so I know there was a conversion because I, 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 I grew up knowing that uh, that there was like a protection or there was like a, uh, there was a presence, um, if you will, like God protecting me. And then at mm -hmm. 19, um, I was working at U.S. Lime. I was an assistant kiln operator and we were working 12-hour shifts. I was working graveyard as we were repairing a, a kiln. Mm -hmm. and inside the kiln is 120 degrees. That's cool. Wow. Um, those kilns can get hot enough that they'll actually melt rock, and if that's and that's not what you want to do because you're ruining the rock. Mm -hmm. So you want them to get to a certain temperature, and they become lime when they go through the kiln. It's a special kind of rock. And so that was where I was working. So I had worked 12 hours, and it was a whole week, and I remember going to bed. I was just exhausted. And in uh, uh, basically in the middle of my sleep one night, I woke up and I sat up in my bed, startled, uh, um, panicky, um, scared. Mm -hmm. And it was as if a hand was put in the middle of my chest and it forced me back down into my bed and held me there. And I remember when I laid back down, Obviously, I had been sweating because my sheets were wet and cold mm -hmm. where my body had <clears throat> had been. And I was there. And, of course, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever been in an adrenaline uh, state of, of panic, it, it, can, it can really be confusing. And for me, it was um, uh, very scary. But I couldn't scream out. My dad was in the other part of the house, but I couldn't. I couldn't say, hey, Dad, come help me, because my tongue was swollen. I could not speak, um, and whatever it was, just think of like somebody sitting on your chest. That's the way it was. Uh, I came to discern that it was like there was this big arena where there was this sporting event going on, and you had two opposing group, black and white, uh, angelic and demonic, um, and they were 
they had some kind of a match going on, some kind of a game going on, and I was the prize. And the words I remember God clearly saying is choose the day whom you're going to serve. Um, and I remember, I don't know that I made the choice then, <clears throat> but it was pretty clear something was not right. This was this had never happened to me before. But I remember when I finally rolled out of bed and my mattress was on the floor, it was not on a frame, and I fell on the floor. And, and now keep in mind, I'm I'm about 18 to 19. I am solid muscle, swinging a pick and a shovel, working in a quarry uh, lime uh, uh, kiln, if you will. Well, I was in top shape. So here I am crawling out of my bed and whatever had forced me literally had its arms wrapped around my waist and, and I was dragging it as I'm going to the door. And the minute I reached up and turned the door handle, whatever it was, let me go. And I fell out into the hallway at my dad's house. Um, of course, that uh, that will get your attention. Yeah. And um, but what I didn't realize is that was um, uh, that was kind of like what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus. You know, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, Well, who are you? Well, I'm Jesus Christ. Well, I didn't have that kind of an encounter, but it was that kind of a supernatural. And I have to tell you, that event changed me. Um, and I'm not a perfect person. I was never a, the best dad or best husband or best pastor or anything. I just know that if I had not chosen properly that night or in the hours to come, I would not have survived because of the life I was living. Mm. Um, but back up about three or four years earlier, we had gone to a small charismatic church. I was saved and baptized in a Baptist church. And when my parents, my father was criticized because he was a 21 dealer by one of the church leaders at the little Baptist church. And that gentleman said, uh, you know, you're going to go to hell because of what you do for work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not, if stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> that was the, it's one of the dumbest things. And, yeah. And he happened to be a deacon. And I'm thinking, I didn't know then. I'm thinking, hmm. Maybe I ought to watch out for these guys. But anyway, my parents left and ran and took us with us because yeah. it was horrifying for my dad uh, because being a 21 dealer does not send anybody to hell. No. Uh, so, but in that, in that case, we went to this charismatic church and I went to a youth retreat at Mount Charleston outside of Las Vegas. And I'll never forget it. First time I ever heard tongues and the first time I ever had an interpretation and the interpretation was... You are my children, and I have chosen you. Now, think about this. I'm 61 now. I was probably 12 or 13, mm -hmm. and it's as if I heard it yesterday. Yeah. So the, the call for me began with, yes, salvation, but then a word of knowledge, and then followed up with a rhema, which is choose today whom you're going to serve. And Can you explain that word? Rhema? Yeah. Rhema is, uh, where word of knowledge is, uh, I was talking to a plumber at work today, uh, not a plumber, a co-worker who is a born-again believer, and the Lord spoke a word to him, mm -hmm. capable. And so he and I had a chance today to talk about this one word thing, and I said, well, that's funny. I said, about a year and a half ago, God said to me, south. 
Well, I thought he meant, because at the time we were in Texas, I thought he meant go south, Pat, like San Antonio or whatever. I had no idea he had North Carolina in mind. Right, right, right. <laughs> but that was a year and a half ago uh-huh. before we even knew. Mm-hmm. So God knows what he's doing. And I immediately, with the south thing, tried to figure out what he meant. <sighs> when am I ever going to learn? <laughs> So if you're out there and you're in ministry and you're trying to figure figure out God, you might as well give up because he's not going to shut up. <laughs> and uh, he knows better than you. Um, but anyway, that that call that happened that night and the the things that he began to take me apart. I lost my job. Um, the girl I was uh, dating got pregnant. Um we got engaged. She lost the baby. She was Catholic. I'm Baptist. It was just a mess. Mm-hmm. And um, so someday I'll get to see my baby. Yeah. I don't know whether whether I think she's a girl because I saw a picture of her one day and my I had a vision of her. But um, I believe that's who she is. Hmm. Um, so someday I'll get a chance to meet her. I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, it's stuff like that that basically pushed me because I was raised in a home where I, I, was, um, I really didn't have much confidence mm-hmm. in myself or what I could do. But I could do construction work. I could do stuff like that and do it very well. Yeah. And, um, and it seems like everywhere I've gone, um, whether it's in construction or I was working for Caterpillar or even in the investment world, and now I'm back in the concrete world. Um, it's interesting. The scripture says, the gifts of a man make room for him before great men. And um, I never, I didn't know, didn't know that. That's a scripture. But I didn't know that what I was experiencing is exactly what the word said. And that's why wherever I've gone, success has never been my goal. But to represent the Lord and do it with integrity and do it well is. And that's where those gifts um, are utilized in ministry. Well, and one thing that we've seen God do for you is he's not used only your ability to preach right? when you've been a pastor. Yeah. One of the small churches that we went to, one of the big things that happened while we were there was a renovation yeah. of the church building. Completely. And your knowledge of the trades mm-hmm. really came in handy there Amen. to help, you know, get that done. But it's interesting because you, tr- you, you move forward mm-hmm. um, some almost 30 years from there because Dylan's almost 30. Yeah. Or he is 30. No. You're almost 30. Yeah. Um, I was there when he was born. I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love you, Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dylan is my youngest yes, brother, by the he, way. He is. And, but anyway, interesting. What When I was praying and asking God what he wanted us to do with that church, uh-huh. the vision of this, this uh, putting up. Uh, first of all, there was a vision of a new piece of property. Mm-hmm. And there was a vision of a balcony in the sanctuary. And that church being a lighthouse, being... Not necessarily a leading church, but just being a church that just radiated Christ. And so here we are some 30 years later, and a friend of ours is pastoring that church. They own a piece of property. The, mill, the, 
the Wells family. It was oh, their grandmother's okay. uh, homestead home. They own that home. That's the new church parsonage, oh, okay. which is right next door to the elementary school uh-huh. where Coach Joe slash pastor is ministering with an after-school ministry. Hmm. You need to contact Joe and have okay. him on the show. Okay. Uh, he would love it. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can tell him I gave it. Tell him I <laughs> just dropped his name. Yeah. Um, but I'll call him. Yeah, you do that because hey, you guys would have fun with that. But I, I saw that, and now, and then the balcony, which they put in about three years ago, all of that, that vision that God gave me some 30 years ago for that little church is still unfolding. And so what have I learned? Well, what I've learned is you can't figure out God. You just got to go with him. Well, and sometimes he gives you a picture that's much bigger than you. That, that is true. That is true. Because we see that in the Bible. Yeah. We see that with Moses. The vision that was given to him, mm-hmm. it wasn't for him. Right. And we see that in so many ways where people are given visions and they don't get to see it come true. Right. But that doesn't mean that they didn't play a huge role. Right. In seeing the completion of that vision or, in God's timing. And in addition to that, another thing that, that I've learned in ministry over sixty over all of these forty year forty plus years now, because I was nineteen twenty when I went to the ministry. Mm-hmm. And when I married your mom, she knew more about ministry than I did. Um, but she was raised in a pastor's home. Uh-huh. But the one thing I've learned is is if you're not careful, you can establish preconceived concepts of a call or what you think God wants you to do, and you almost put yourself in a place where you're fitting yourself in your own mold mm-hmm. and not in his mold. Right. And, and the one thing I've, that, that's what the last, uh, uh, the last 10 years have brought to me is a, a hunger and a thirst, a desire to know the person name the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to really understand because I was in a place of authority and in a denomination that preaches God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit but we we basically said thank you for salvation thank you for abiding in our lives uh, but I've got this and I'll let you know if I need help now we would never say that but if people would just take for two seconds and look back and go, you know, is, is that me or is that God? And, and sometimes we can create a image or uh, make an idol of our God and what, what we define him and understand him to be. When in fact, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but many people do. And then that's... Because what the reason is, is because really it's, a, it's an issue of control. This is who I believe God is, so therefore he is. Hmm. How do you tell God, this is how I define you, and, and, but you're basically saying that's enough. I heard recently that if you believe that what you believe and how you understand hmm. what you've been taught is the only way to understand it, then that itself is pride. Yeah. And you're, you could be missing out on something, Absolutely. but your pride will never give mm-hmm. you the ability to see it. Right. And if the Holy Spirit, if it wasn't a complete picture that right. you'd always understood, what's the, what is the picture of the Holy Spirit that you understand now? Hmm. You're asking me? I'm asking you, yeah. Well, um, first of all, 
One of the books that has helped me tremendously is Systematic Theology, Pneumatology, The Study of the Holy Spirit by Lewis Sperry Schaefer, C-H-A-F-E-R. Is that the book you were so happy to find? Yes, that's exactly when we moved. <laughs> My dad has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. And a, an alarm that always rings at the wrong time. Sorry about that. He was he opened up this box of books when they moved to North Carolina, and you would have thought he found a million dollars. I did. It is. <laughs> and instead, treasure. It was a book yeah. on systematic theology. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that book has helped me understand uh, a lot about who God is. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the Father who is the the responsible one for redemption. Mm-hmm who sent his son, who was our, who is and was our Redeemer. And then he's, he has put within us his spirit who empowers and, and enables that, that redemption to be completely fulfilled and whatever. It's one of the things I like about being a concrete superintendent. I get to talk with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too long ago, I had a, um, a concrete pump man there. And they bring in these big old pumps that anywhere from 32 meters up to 57 meter trucks. Wow. A meter is three feet. Right. So you times 57 times three, that tells you how far this pump will reach. Mm -hmm. It can almost reach a a football field. Wow. And so I use pumps like that all the time. Well, there's this one guy. He's a brother in the Lord. And we got to talking. And well, while we were pumping a wall, uh, he got a phone call. And I knew the Spirit, I knew through the Spirit that he had just gotten a call about his mom who had been ill. Well, now she's been rushed to the hospital. Mm. And so he was in a hurry to get that done, but he can't leave his pump truck because he's got to clean it. He's got to do everything. He's got a job to do. And, um, but on his way out, I said, John, can I pray for you? And so I played my, just laid my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him. Well, my foreman came over and he said, did you pray for him? I said, yeah. He goes, cool. That, that's ministry. Those are opportunities that if I, wasn't, if I wasn't actively considering and listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. then I would miss it. It's like when you or your brothers call or, or Neely or Jeff, uh, my other two children by marriage, um, <laughs> When they call, they don't have to say, this is Jeff. They don't have to say, this is Neely. You don't have to say, hey, Dad, this is Court. I know your voice. And I think so many Christians have so been told that you can't hear the voice of God. That is so dynamic, uh, uh, demonic, because you can. He's got his word. You open it up and you read his word. Every day I pray. Lord, as I read your word this morning, I still read a chapter every mm-hmm. day. How long have I been doing that? Proverbs? Uh, yeah. 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 Well, right now I'm in the book of Acts. Oh, okay. But uh, sometimes I got to leave Proverbs because there's more to life. Yes. And, um, but <laughs> I always pray and say, Holy Spirit, let me see something. Let, show me. Let me understand something in this, this book or this chapter that I've probably read a dozen to 15 times. Mm-hmm. And every time would out uh, uh, missing it, he'll, he'll show me something. And that gives me something to think about. So what's my understanding of the Holy Spirit now is that I actually have, he's a person. 
and I am developing my relationship with him. Hmm. So one of the things that I've learned is if when when you are when you are born again, you're filled with the spirit. Okay? Mm-hmm. But that feeling uh, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1 tells us that. God will not let anybody snatch us out of, our, out of his hands. We are, we are sealed in that Holy Spirit. God is not going to break that promise. He's not going to break his word. He's made it very clear. Okay, with that being said, when you're born again and you accept Christ, the Spirit comes in and he abides and he lives in our life. But here's the challenge. We still have the old nature, the flesh, okay? Mm-hmm. And that died and was crucified with Christ. Just as the Father will resurrect Christ, you and I can resurrect the flesh. Well, how can we be full of the Spirit if the flesh is operating? Mm-hmm. So what one of the things that is taught in that book I mentioned earlier um, is that if you want to be filled with the Spirit, there's a couple things you need to remember. First of all, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That means don't walk around uh, with unconfessed sin. Did I read something? Did I hear something? Did I participate in something? Did I cheat on my taxes? I mean, the list just goes on and on. All of that goes on and on. Mm -hmm. And if we don't confess that, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The second one is don't quench the Holy Spirit by telling him no. And a lot of people... I don't want to be a missionary. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to move. I, I don't want to leave my family. I, uh, it just goes on and on and on. I know when, uh, when mom and I moved to Texas and uh, we started going to a non-Southern Baptist church. Remember the one I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. It's an Anglican church. Yeah. Well, we're not Anglican. But we were needed there because they needed a worship leader. Uh-huh. And so I went to a Baptist pastor where I had joined the church there in New Braunfels. And, and I told him that they needed a worship leader and mom was going to be hired. And is he going to be okay with that? He says, absolutely, get out of here. <laughs> and I said, well, what happens if somebody has a problem with that? He said, that's not your problem, that's theirs. Mm. And, and that was one of, the, one of the first steps for mom and I because we're not Anglican. Actually, we've been called Babacan. <laughs> been or, called Bapticostal. Or Bapticostal uh-huh. or Anglatist. Say Anglican and Baptist, Baptist. put together. Oh, okay. So we've been called a lot of things. And matter of fact, some of my peers have actually jokingly, sarcastically said, well, there's Pat Hale who doesn't know what he believes. <laughs> That's not true. I know exactly what right, I but but you're not so defined by a denomination. That's correct. That mm-hmm. that it's like, oh well, Pat believes whatever mm-hmm. this particular church believes. Right. Well, when we were we we did not join the Anglican Church, mm-hmm. but I learned a, an appreciation for Anglican Christians. Mm-hmm. They may be a little more liturgical than I am. I used to tease the the pastor, I used to say, hey, your slip's showing, because they wore robes. <laughs> I said it to him every Sunday, you know, and he said, I'm going to pray for you. I said, well, please do. And, uh, but we, we became friends, and, um, and that was my very first capital campaign. Mm-hmm. And we raised uh, three times, no, six times their annual yearly income. Their annual income was 500000 You do the math. Wow. 
And they had, and that a, was so that they could build a new building. So they could build a new building, and their their first fruits offering, which is a cash gift, they raised. They gave a half a million dollars in one Sunday. Wow! And they raised three point three million dollars, and um, so those are things that I would have missed if I had not listened to the Spirit. So we don't want to grieve him which is walking around with unconfessed sin. We don't want to quench him by telling him no. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't make any sense for a Baptist pastor to go to an Anglican church unless there's a reason. Unless the Spirit's calling you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I, I so believe that. Uh, but for many of my peers and even maybe my children and some family members, they thought we were off our rocker. And yet I had no idea that God would allow me to be in a capital campaign where I could be a part of raising 10 to $15 million in 18 churches over the next five years. That, you, you, you can't buy a book and read it and do that. It, it, mm-hmm. and, and you know what I learned? One of the keys to giving is not how much should I give, but Holy Spirit, what would you have us give? Mm. But once again... You have to know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like before right. he can tell you that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last thing is don't, don't grieve him, don't quench him, but walk with him. And so like on the job site, I mean, it's a world concrete job site where it's filled with all kinds of language and mm-hmm. lack of integrity and stuff like that. Well, today I was having to remind myself Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control against such things there's not any law because I was I was had a difficult situation I was dealing with. And the flesh would want me to fly off the handle. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that watch what I say and what I do. And by the way, I am an ordained concrete superintendent. <laughs> but I represent Christ. So One of the things I've learned, though, in in my years of ministry is I don't have to be a pastor. I are a pastor. Mm -hmm. Wherever I go, I get to lead people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I can go to Caterpillar, and they hire me as a lead person. Never worked a dock in my entire life, but now I'm operating and leading a crew of of 35 to 40 people. Mm Mm-hmm. That is something that God does. I can come to, oh, and that was another thing. When I was working at Caterpillar last year, I was out in the dock where the trucks back up to the buildings and unload their freight. Uh-huh. And um, people don't realize that at Caterpillar, where I was, we were an engine plant, and we get, oh, about a million to a million and a half pounds of freight every day. Wow. We unload. Our goal is 50 trucks a shift. I mean, sorry, 50 trucks in a 24-hour period. Well, that's a lot of freight, mm-hmm. and it has to be checked, and it has to be redistributed, and it either goes out on the line where we make 350, 300 to 350 engines a month Wow! that go all over the world, Caterpillar. But how did that happen? I needed a job because I got laid off from another job, and I needed a job, and I went there. And the Lord gave me favor. And it's fascinating to me because it reminds me of Joseph. Hmm. Turned lemons into lemonade. Yeah. But, but praise God for Several that. times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, and I can look back over that. But, but again, I had an opportunity 
to minister to a group of people that would have never walked through the church doors. Yeah. And if there's anything I could ever say to some people in ministry, don't put yourself in a box and don't let anybody else put you in a box. You can have as much of an impact as a secretary or an architect or a school teacher or, or a plumber or electrician um, and, and have as big of an impact as if you were a pastor or, or a missionary. Mm-hmm. The problem is many of us that are Christians, we're Christians Monday, I mean, we're Christians on Sunday, but not Monday through Saturday. Most people would not know we're Christians. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't go around flaunting it, but I need to, what makes me different is Christ. Mom, was, Mom has always said that you and I are the same. That, yeah, but you're much prettier. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that, number one, we could talk to a brick wall. That's correct. And that people just spill their life story to us. That's correct. <laughs> and that, I think, is one way that you end up pastoring, Yeah, is that you're just open to hear people's lives, mm-hmm. or you ask a question other than like, hi, how are you? You know, you mm-hmm. you ask a little bit deeper question, and you just seem like an open person to talk to. Mm-hmm. But you talked a lot about listening to the Holy Spirit, right? right? I mean, you gave us those points. But how do we know what this voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like? How can we Good how question. can we practice that on a daily basis? Great question. Well, one of the things that, that God did for me when we got to Texas is he gave me a pastor that understood this. And uh, Dennis was very helpful because I would say things like, well, this thought came to me, or um, I had this idea, or, um, and then Dennis would say, well, well, where'd that come from? Well, I don't know. Well, what, do, what do you mean you don't know? Who, who indwells you? I had so learned how to dismiss the Holy Spirit that I never attributed it to the Holy Spirit. And I read and heard somewhere that one of the ways that you use the Lord's name in vain is when you don't give credit for a God thing. Hmm. You poo-poo it, you dismiss it, or you own it for yourself, never ever saying, imagine for a minute, you're my daughter. If I were to see you in a crowded grocery store or an airport, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't walk away and ignore you. It would break your heart. Well, why do we do that? We do that to the Holy Spirit all the time. But part of it is is because when he speaks, we go, well, for some reason I had this thought or I had this weird idea. We are dismissing who's speaking. And it took me a little while to basically change how I, view, how, how I understood that. Mm-hmm. I used to say things like I just said, I had a thought or I had an epiphany or there's too many eyes. <laughs> so I had to, to learn that that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been, like, I don't know, maybe when you've talked about this before or preached on it, that you're over-spiritualizing it. Have you ever oh, been? Oh, yeah. Right? And what's your response to people that say that? Oh, okay, you have a right to be, you have your right to an opinion, and you have a right to be wrong. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> <laughs> but that... It, that's my testimony. You can't argue with my testimony. Mm-hmm. When somebody says they're saved, and like I shared with you, how the Lord got my attention at 19. 
I have never heard another person use that kind of a testimony. Mm -hmm. But it was so real to me. I can still remember the smells, and I can remember the sweat on the sheets. I mean, it, I mean that that's going back to when I that's before I was twenty. Mm -hmm. So I'm going back a long time, and and you don't forget those kind of things. Um, but that's my testimony. Yeah. Well, all I know is my whole Christian experience. I knew, I knew Lois Dick at First Baptist Church Williams. We used to have this conversation, her and Randall and I about the fact that I knew there was more to the Holy Spirit than I was giving him credit for. Mm -hmm. And I remember Lois telling me, she said, one of these days, one of these days, you're going to, to find him and you're going to find out he's always been there. Hmm. But I put him in a box. And I was afraid that if I actually let him out of the box... Something would happen. What did you think that was something was? Something scary? No, no. I was more concerned about the repercussions of others than I was about my relationship with him. Hmm. I'm 61. I don't give a flip now. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody gets offended, even in this, even in this radio show, this podcast, oh people can get offended. Right. I, I do care. But the one thing I can't do, I can't apologize for who God is. And I can't apologize for the fact that he's a personal God who indwells each one of us. Mm -hmm. And he's just waiting to have the relationship and the conversation that a person has with another person. Yeah. So we need to give him credit. Is there other ways that we can make sure that we're in tune with him? and Reading the word. Okay. Um, uh, praying, uh -huh. uh, you'll, you remember this. I, my, your whole life, I always prayed on the armor of God over you guys mm -hmm. as much as I could before you went to school. Well, I've expanded that by, <clears throat> I always start my prayer time with the Lord's prayer. And then I work through, I go back and I work through the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then I, I stop there and I say, you are God, the father, God, the son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I thank God for being my creator, my father who cares, that has gifted me and has called me and who has sent his son to die on the cross. And I walk through praising and adoring who Christ is and the difference he's made in my life. And then I thank him for sitting at the right hand of the Father. Uh, I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit uh, through Christ, because Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, about, you know, I prayed and said, Jesus, our finances need to be, need to change. They need to be different. And that's what he did. Hmm. Uh, Holy Spirit, I, I want to hear from you. What do I need to, and, but, but I've been practicing this now for about five years. And more specifically, the last three. And you know what's happened in the last year yeah. in our lives. Mom getting brain cancer and two tumors removed and it's changed her life and our life. Yeah. And our lives will never be the same. Uh, we can't go back. But I'm telling you, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit uh, showing me in his word, uh, when I'm in prayer, um, he says things to me that go along with my prayer, go along with the day. Um, 
he'll another thing is he'll remind me of somebody and I immediately call him uh, or he'll um, there's been times at work when he'll say something to the effect of you need to go look at this print and you need to go look at that specific wall and sure enough I'll go do that and I'll see I miss something on that wall my walls cost a lot of money to make yeah right <laughs> and hundreds of hours so um, so I'm, I'm learning how to listen to him and um, I'm fairly new at it um, but it's been three to five years yeah. was it really hard when you started uh, or confusing or you, you kind yeah, of felt a little confusing another thing I did is I've read books I've read books about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the systematic theology is one. Okay. The God um, uh, I Never Knew was another one. Who's that by? Um, it's over there on the shelf. <laughs> Can I go over and get him? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the God I Never Knew. The God I Never Knew. By Robert Morris. How Real Friendship with the Holy Spirit Can Change Your Life. Phenomenal book. You can see how many pages I have earmarked. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Uh, phenomenal book. And then another one is Practicing the Power, Welcoming the Gifts of the Holy Spirit in Your Life. One of my, look how many pages I earmarked on that one. There you go. But um, uh, by Sam Storms. Uh, both of these have been great books for me. Plus, reading John 14, 15, and 16, there are three groups of passages in those chapters that talk about and explain to us from a biblical perspective, I just call it the job description of the Holy Spirit. It's certainly much more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, he has more involved in that. But from a human perspective, we have that recorded in the Word. So John 14, John 15, and John 16, and I teach that wherever I go. Um, because I'll never forget, 30 years ago, First Church, um, I announced that I was going to be preaching a series on spiritual gifts, and one of the leaders came to me on that Monday morning. He was sitting in the parking lot. and don't Waiting say for you? Yes, don't <laughs> say any names. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who it is. And, I don't know um, the story. He, he uh, explained to me uh, in, in very delicate words, he said, if you preach this sermon series, you're going to split the church. On spiritual gifts. Uh -huh. Now, again, we're going back 30 years ago. Well, not only did I pastor 17 years after that conversation, I then went to Texas, and the Lord put me in, the time we were there, he put us in, um, allowed us to be a member of a church, and then I was an interim in five. And I preached... I don't even know how many sermons and how many churches, probably a hundred churches. And what I found in every church, these, these, these principles of the Holy Spirit, everybody came up. I've never heard that. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that. Yeah. And every time I teach on spiritual gifts, they just sit me and they just come to me and they go, why am I just now finding, finding this out? Well, do you read your Bible every day? <laughs> You can blame the preacher if you want. The reality is you didn't study the word. You were lazy, so you got yourself in this position. Now take this and grow from it. 
I think maybe your love for spiritual gifts is why I love teaching about spiritual gifts uh, every time. Yeah. Because when it's in a Bible study that I'm teaching, yeah. if I'm co-teaching, I'm like, I'll take that week. Yeah. I'll take that one. Oh, yeah. The problem is I can never teach it in like the hour and a half I have. <laughs> then you need to get these two books. I, I will get them. And the one on systematic theology. Yes, sir. <laughs> and you need to read them because you're getting a conservative, uh, you're getting a conservative uh, Dallas Theological Seminary perspective. That's one bookend mm -hmm. on the end of this shelf of books. And on the other end is the God I Never Knew, pract Practicing the Power. So you're getting a Baptocostal kind of a perspective. It's If you read them both, you kind of get a more rounded perspective. You, you do get a rounded, but the nice thing about it is they're all pointing back at Scripture. Yeah. And what I've found when, when you're reading books about doctrine or the Bible, you've got to open up your Bible. Don't just take their word. Go read the passage, which means you can't sit down and just read the book in a weekend. Mm -hmm. It may, for me to read a book like this will take me a year, not because I'm a slow reader. I just don't want to miss any details. Yeah. Um, and so coming to know the Holy Spirit as a person who is having a relationship with me every day has changed my whole outlook. It's changed my marriage. It's changed how I, how I love my children certainly changed my how I, I love my grandsons and everything else involved. Hmm. But I want to make one more switch, and we're talking about ministry. Yeah. One of the biggest issues I found in the church is not only is there a lack of teaching on the Holy Spirit, but there is a lack of financial teaching hmm. in the church. And um, your mom and I are a byproduct of a generation of pastors who believed and were taught that you don't really need to provide for the future because God will meet your needs. Well, God will. But there's a responsibility we have to tithe, to be good stewards. Uh, and when I say good stewards, that means time, talent, treasure, temple talk. How many times have you heard me say that? That's <laughs> You've a, added a couple since then. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> the I end. had. The temple, uh, the... Toys and technology came from a teacher of, of college students. <laughs> okay. And she said, uh, time, uh, time, talent, temple, talk is great, but you left out toys and technology. Mm. Talk about the Holy Spirit speaking. Yeah. Yeah, she was a 65-year-old blonde. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't know you could be blonde at 65. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but one of the things that, and again, it goes back to spiritual gifts. It goes back to understanding the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we are so missing uh, the importance of finance. Mm -hmm. And I'll just illustrate it this way. Your mom has brain cancer. We hardly have anything. Can't afford to buy a house because I can't afford the down payment. Um, we don't have any life insurance. Praise God, um, a Christian financial planner out of Pennsylvania uh, one day said to me, you need to check into Samaritan Ministries. It's a medical co-op, and it will help you financially. It will help you pay your medical bills. Mm -hmm. Your mom's bills since last April is a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. And as we understand it right now, it's been negotiated down to about half. Yeah. And all of that has been what they call published which means there are 
hundreds of homes across the United States sending your mom and I their monthly contributions to through Samaritan Ministries to pay our bills. Because it's a co-op. It, I mean, it's it takes place of your medical insurance. Y- yes. But it's, I mean, it, you don't have insurance because you use the co-op. That's correct. But instead of paying a company each month, right? you guys actually receive the names of who you need to send your payment to. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's called shares, not it's payment. Shares. You're sharing. Okay. Yeah. You're, yeah uh-huh. Your shares. And uh-huh. then, and I've seen it in action here. Yeah. You guys not only get a check mm-hmm. from that person, whoever it is, mm-hmm. you also get it in a card with a note yeah. and, and a prayer. Right. And so you guys have that mm-hmm. as a provision. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, and this is the sixth time we've had to use this mm-hmm. uh, in our adult life. We left traditional medicine twelve years ago, or, uh, about twelve years ago, because I couldn't afford it any longer. Traditional, not medicine. Traditional. I'm sorry. Traditional insurance, insurance medical yeah. insurance. We couldn't afford it, and somebody, well, this friend of ours introduced us to this, and so here's an example. I got pastors, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of pastors that have no insurance. Because, let's just face it, churches don't pay very well. Mm-hmm. There's that top 10% of churches in the United States that pay their pastors well. You've got 90% of your churches. Actually, 70 to 80% of Christianity are in churches of 75 to 80 people. Okay. Well, when you start extrapolating out the fact that 7 out of 10 adults that go to church every Sunday don't tithe. Their annual gift as a family to the church is $210 a year. How do you pay a man who's a pastor or a ministry family like what you grew up in? How do they have a living wage? I'll never forget when we went from our first church to our second church. uh, A deacon at that church, he asked me, how come we didn't buy a house? Why are we renting? No, why are you living with your brother and sister-in-law? And I said, well, because we didn't have a down payment. Well, he never thinks about that we were a family of five living in a church parsonage, so that's a part of my salary. Uh, Utilities taken care of. I have a car allowance. But there was, by the time we lived, there wasn't anything left over to put a down payment. I barely had enough money uh, to pay my bills. And I'm not being critical. It's just that that the ministry and churches have done a poor job in being good stewards of their pastors. And that's been one of my passions, is how do I help a pastor teach his people how to treat him so that he can take care of his family, you know, his wife and his children? So do you think that the issue is in the way that the church is managing their money or in the way that people are responding or not responding to our command to tithe? Yes. Both? All. Okay. It, it's, it's a two-sided coin. You know, um, pastors, I, I, I've been hearing this for the last 10 years mm-hmm. because working in an investment firm, that's where I did most of my stewardship preaching all over the state of Texas. Um, and one of the things that I often heard was um, I would get people that would complain. 
And I just about said, you. I, not about me, just about that I would preach a six or an eight week series on, on stewardship. Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, then that says to me, we have the right topic. If yeah. you're going to complain about this, that says to me, you're not a generous giver. And I'll bet you probably don't even tithe. And I would say that to them. Well, they never complained again. <laughs> because why, why? And it's not that I'm being snotty, but I don't have time for that. We have more important things to do. How much does a soul cost? How much does reaching the community cost? Mm -hmm. They're so worried about paying their bills, they have little to no desire to reach the community. So then what do you say to someone that is maybe is in that position? Like they're not rich, <laughs> right. you know, right. they don't have a lot of money. Right. Um, and they know that God has instructed them to tithe, but they're just feeling like I, I can't, I, there's nothing left. Right. What do you say to that person? Well, they need to change your lifestyle. Okay. You need to quit uh, paying for a brand new car. If you can't afford to tithe, but you have a house, you need to sell your house. In other words, get your priorities in line. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I have a, a list of stewardship items. I don't know that I, I can get them real quick. I didn't get them out. Um, <clears throat> but it's a list of things that, that people need to do. But just off the top of my head, things like make sure that the tithe is first. Number two, Dave Ramsey always said this, live your wage. Yeah. Live your wage. And for a lot of people in our society today, the husband and the wife both have to work. Your mom and I chose not to do that. Yeah. We wanted her to be home with you guys. Well, the, the, uh, the, the drawback to that was we weren't able to save for the future. But we were able to invest in you guys. Yeah. In my opinion, uh, we may have not been the perfect parents, but you didn't have to worry about where food was going to come from or clothing or transportation or whatever. Um, so going back to it, make sure that you put tithing first, uh, you live your wage, okay? Mm -hmm. And then you protect your family from a catastrophe. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to back up. Live your wage, tithe, live your wage, create a budget. And in your budget... Uh, you can go to crown.org, you can go to daveramsey.whatever.internet.com.co, whatever. Sure He's all everywhere. Yeah, he, he, guess what? He has a radio show. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he also has a podcast. He does. He does. <laughs> but if you go to his website, they have the percentages broke down mm -hmm. of what's in a, what a budget should include. Most people have no idea how much they're spending, and they're overspending Nine times out of ten, because I did a lot of personal f uh, budget coaching. Yeah. Um, and what I found is, is their cell phones, uh, eating out, uh, and most of them did not tithe. Hmm. Those were the three things that I saw. And I saw people with seven-figure income doing the same thing as somebody that made, they were under the poverty level. But everybody was about a year to year and a half in uh, total amount in debt. So whatever their income was for a year and a half, that's about how much debt they were in. Wow. It's just blow and I found that out just helping people. And then you need to set you need to protect your family. You need to have life insurance, disability insurance, and long term care. And see that's what your mom and I don't have. Mm 
And so now I could say we couldn't have afforded it. Well, you're right. We couldn't have. But we can afford this now. The answer is no. If we had had long-term care, that would have helped immensely right now in taking care of your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had to go. We, but we've had to. But the, the silver lining in this has been the fact that our family has come together. You kids with your aunts and your grandfather and I have created this, this parachute of family. So the, the great blessing that's been extruded in, in this situation is, yes, mom's health is what it is. Mm-hmm. They say she's got 20, 14 to 24 months. I know your mom. Your mom could live three, five, seven, ten years. Right. She is a tough old bird, just like your grandma was. Yeah. How long did she live with ovarian cancer? Oh. Twenty plus years. (laughs) Talk about tough. All right. Uh, But it would have been better if we had prepared differently. Yeah. Uh, And again, I could blame it on employers. I could blame it on working in churches. That the reality is, is you have to live your wage. So if you can't afford to tithe, you've got to change your lifestyle. If you can't afford to pay for, as Dave Ramsey says, housing, uh, transportation, clothes, and food, if you can't pay for those four, change your lifestyle. Because that's what's most important. Exactly. Those yeah. four things allow you to get up and fight again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, provide some, uh, it's, it's based on your age. If you're young, get disability. If you have kids, you get disability, you get life, and you get long-term care. I promise you, last April when I came home and found your mom in a grand mal seizure, none of us thought she had anything in her head called a brain tumor. Right. Glioblastoma, mm-hmm. which is fatal. No, it, it, And so here we are, you're adjusting to all of this. And then to have it come back again in six weeks mm-hmm. after we made a move, you know, talk about when God said go south. <laughs> I mean, we had no idea when I accepted the job in, in North Carolina that the very next week-ish, yeah. we would, we, our whole life would change. Yeah. And, and then two weeks after her surgery, you guys would move from Texas to North Carolina. That is correct. And then three weeks after you guys had four. moved here. Four weeks after you had moved here. They would find another. Yeah, the first one was small plum size. Mm-hmm. The second one was tennis ball size. Mm-hmm. And and a brain is not like a lizard's tail. It does not grow back. Yeah. Your body uh, fills that void where that, that uh, so you, if you just take the brain and you divide it into fourths, mom's front quarter is, is about two-thirds empty. It's just fluid, uh, spinal fluid. Again... Look at how she is today. You know. Of course, we tell her when she goes to the doctor and they see no new tumor, we say, yay, you're empty-headed. No, we do. Courtney Ruth. Hey, what, I absolutely said that to her. She yeah, laughed. Did you? Oh, did. <laughs> she goes, yes, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but the difference now, because we're now coming up on five months. Yeah. When we go back four months... Uh, the difference now is your mom can be home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the psychologist said she can just take independence off the table. Well, she's more independent now than I thought she could be. Mm-hmm. And uh, But again, going back to the financial thing, is I've had people tell us that's what we needed to do. Uh, but, the, but 
the key to that is you have to change your lifestyle. You've got to drive used cars or you pay cash for a car. And the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. And people will tell you that you can't do those things. You can't pay cash for a car. But you can. But you can. Can you get the most up-to-date? And do you need the most up-to-date car? Good point. The answer is no. Yeah. Right? Do you need a reliable car? Yes. Right? So Reliable, yeah. It helps. <laughs> right. Reliable is different. Yeah. The reliable doesn't mean brand new. Right. And do you need the biggest house? No. You know, do your kids need new clothes or can you do used clothes for your kids? Or um, hand-me-downs or something bought at Savers or whatever. I have an aunt who has, you know, I think clothed all three of her kids with the cutest clothes. And I don't think she ever buys them new. You know, she goes to Goodwill or to Savers and um, Salvation Army and, and finds the clothes there. And yeah, that takes time. But I feel like all of these are sacrifices that you make to achieve the goals that you want. Right. But maybe that's the first thing you have to decide what's important in life. Right. Is what other people think of you more important than setting yourself up for the future? Because wow, a, a lot of times when we get the newest car, it's because we want to feel good driving down the road. Where when I drive down the road in my... <laughs> your Flintstone car where you pedal with your feet? <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> I do. The have problem a... is you make my grandsons do it. Oh, I do not. <laughs> but I have a cheap liberty. The paint is peeling. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a beautiful car by any means. But guess what? It gets us from point A to point B. And it's very nice not to have a, a car payment. Yep. You know, but that's because our goal is getting debt free. Right. And you have to, in any goal, you have to make sacrifices. Right. When you when you have kids, you make sacrifices because you want to be a parent. Your goal is to be a parent. Right. Yeah. When you go to college because you're going to go and seek a degree so that you can do a career, you make sacrifices so that you can go and seek that degree. Right. But yeah. I think sometimes the sacrifice, it's uncomfortable. And Dave Ramsey says, we live today like no one else. So later we can live and give like no one else. That is correct. And sometimes that living like nobody else, people don't understand it. Yeah. Well, and I think there's another thought in this too. And we've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the importance of finance. And by the way, I... I highly recommend The Treasure Principle by uh, Randy Alcorn, which fell on the floor. Thank you very much. And when he talks, and we've talked about these books, you and I, before. Yes, I have. And then The Little Red Book of Wisdom. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that um, I have a passion or heart for is coming alongside men, young men. Mm -hmm. um, our first, our church in Texas, we actually had men older than me that I could go to for mentoring. That was one of the challenges we had when we pastored. I didn't have older men that were spiritual leaders. I held older men that were in the way. Hmm. So, I mean, we had some. Randy Baker was an example of an older guy uh, that just poured into our life, mm -hmm. uh, Randy and Jan. But, I mean, you, if you up until 10 years ago, I could count them on one hand. Mm -hmm. Well, we were in a church that really believes in that. Mm-hmm. But they mentor the teenagers with the young adult men. Okay. And the young adults are, in, are are mentored by the meeting adults. And the meeting adults are, you see, you just go on up the chain. 
It's a very biblical picture. It is very biblical. When you're thinking about that, and you're thinking about people kind of going into ministry, or really just in the life, okay? One of the things that we see a lot is young people getting burnt out. I mean, they get burned out in ministry. I think it happens in other um, other industries as well. Oh, yeah. A mm-hmm. lot. You didn't get burned out. Uh, no. Wrong? I, di- I did. Okay. So with that in mind, how can that be avoided? I don't know. No. I mean, if, <laughs> yeah, you, if you don't know, you yeah, don't you're know. You're looking at, well, you know, it's interesting. I didn't think I was burnt out, but we were at West Greenway. Uh-huh. And um, I had just reached a, a plateau or whatever. If I had had somebody standing there with me to help me push through that, mm-hmm. we'd still be there. Okay. Uh, I, I, when, when you go alone, of course, you know, at that church, we had done everything we could to save that church. It had been a, a challenge since day one. We had great ministry there, uh-huh. but it had been a challenge. And um, so uh, I believe I just got to a place that I didn't know what to do next uh, or even how to move forward in that. We had saved it from its closing its doors, mm-hmm. but um, unfortunately, another 10 years it actually did. Yeah. But um, I, I believe now if I had had a mentor that I could trust, um, I was used to peers repeating whatever conversations we had. It was hard to find people who were people of integrity uh, or who didn't have a, a, a denominational or a political reason for why they were doing what they were doing. You can't fake authenticity. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't fake integrity. Uh, you either have it or you don't. Yeah. So I think that one way you can keep from burning out is one, because uh, there was a time at West Greenway where I thought I was uh, depressed. And I don't know if you remember that or not. I don't. And um, I saw friends, several of my peers were on antidepressants. Hmm. And I even mentioned to your mom one day, I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to a doctor and get a, because I think I'm depressed. And she said, well, okay, you can do that if you want. But before you do, let's try this. We call it Janet's Five. Yeah. I know All that. Right, yeah. So um, prayer, eat right, exercise right, read the word, and get plenty of rest. And usually now, some probably 15 years later, mm-hmm. I'm not depressed. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean I don't go through challenges. But I look, if I, if I feel like I'm hitting a wall, I go back and look at those five. And, you know... It's always one of those five. Sometimes it's a combination. Mm-hmm. One of those you can keep moving forward, but you're not going to really grow. Two or three of those, you're, you're just going to flat burn out. Yeah. So it goes back to uh, being a good steward of your temple. Uh, not only the, the church temple, not only the, the body of Christ universal, but even your own temple. You got to take care of it. Mm-hmm. That was one of the... The keys to ministry is at 50, I found out that I was borderline obese. 
I had high cholesterol. And the doctor said, if I keep going the way I'm going, I'm going to have a heart attack. Mm. And so I changed. I was away. I was 240 pounds. Mm. Now I'm under 200 pounds. Yeah. And uh, so I lost that 40 pounds plus, and I never put it back on. Yeah. I changed what I drank. I changed what I ate. I can still have a Coke. I can still have dessert. I just, you, you just have to learn how to not do that. And that was a part of the Jans Five. Yeah. So how do I keep from burning out? I look at those five things. Well, and when I'm thinking about those five things, mm-hmm. none of those five things included anything having to do with anybody but yourself. Yeah. So you can't take care of other people and you can't serve other people if you're not taking care of yourself. That's correct. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you know you have to be solely focused on yourself. No, but all of those things are are simple adjustments. Oh yeah, and I think it's the same thing. You can't be a a good teacher if you're tired all day long. Right. You can't be a great cab driver. <laughs> you know, if you're not eating right. You, or an ordained plumber. Or an, or an ordained, ordained electrician. Plumber, yeah. 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 yeah, you can't do those things if you're not taking care of yourself. And when you are taking care of yourself, you're in a much better place than to be open right. to where God wants to take you. When someone says, I need you to take me to the hospital. Right. You can say, okay, I have space in my life for that because I haven't run myself so right. ragged that I don't have space for anybody else. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. If you could challenge our listeners with anything, what what I mean, based on what we've talked about today, what what would it be? Well, one of the things anybody that's thinking about ministry mm-hmm. is really encourage them to meditate on where Paul was a tent maker, mm. and um, because I have found <clears throat> something your mom and I saw about. Oh, probably 15, 25 years ago, whatever, that full-time youth pastor positions in just the state of Arizona, 400 Southern Baptist churches, uh-huh. there, was, there was about 10 or 15 churches that had a full-time youth pastor. Mm-hmm. So I realized that that's just a really short window of opportunity. Yeah. Well, then the Lord opened up. Of course, I was in concrete at the time. Mm-hmm. And my, our pastor, Jerry, kept asking me, are you ready to be pastor? He, I said, no. He goes, why not? I said, because pastors are weird. <laughs> I don't want to be a pastor. He said, I'm not weird. I said, you especially are weird. I was going to say, you're saying this to your pastor. <laughs> and of course, he would laugh loud like yeah. he always does. Um, and I think it was the second or third time. It began, but again, uh, the the backdrop to that story is, the January before I got called as a pastor, in my prayer time, I was reading a book, Youth of Flame. I can't remember the author's name. In there, I was reading through, and the Lord said, this is the year you're going to return to full-time ministry. Get ready. Hmm. Well, that summer, my pastor asked me one more time, and I said, yeah, I'd be interested. He said, well, I know this church in northern Arizona. All right? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So he recommended. They wanted my resume. And by November, 
of the same year that the Holy Spirit said that, I was back in full time ministry. Yeah. But but here's what I've here's what I've And that's when I became a PK. Then you became a PK. You became <laughs> Pat's kids. Oh, is that what it means? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about all these other PKs. But again, as I think about this, I think too often and I and I have to go back and I think that not that God didn't want me to be a pastor or a youth pastor. It's just that sometimes I hung on to it. Because I didn't want to be disobedient, I didn't want to leave my call, and I've learned that I don't have to be behind a pulpit to be a pastor. I can be on the construction site and meet more people that don't know Jesus than those that are inside the church walls. He almost had to redefine that. Correct. That label for you. Yeah, only because a label was already described for me, mm-hmm. but I've since learned that those are, you know, one of the challenges of being a pastor is winning people to Jesus because we're not always around people that don't know Jesus. Yeah. We isolate ourselves. And that would be one of the things I would say is if you're not winning people to Jesus, don't beat yourself up and certainly don't let Satan get on you. Just be in a spot where you have an opportunity. Because mm-hmm. if you put yourself out there, the Lord will provide an opportunity for you. you got to go. Yeah. And... Um, so pray for the opportunity first of all. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. then keep your eyes open cuz he will answer. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You will. Mm-hmm. And but you got to be you got to be prepared because you might run into somebody that's who he sent and you're thinking I don't even you know where to even start to talk to this person about Jesus. Right. But they're sitting over there going, "Man, I need Jesus or I'm going to take my own life or I need Jesus, my life is a mess. I wish God you would send somebody." And God is saying, He's right over there. He just won't admit it and come <laughs> over here. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we, we miss out so many opportunities. Yeah. So. so I have one final question. Uh-huh. Obviously, you've talked about how important mentorship was for you, you know, later on, how you wish you'd had it when you were younger. Um, and we talk a lot about discipleship and mentorship. Right. So who is the person that has had the biggest influence on your spiritual journey? Well, there's there's a couple of them, but at this season in my life, probably uh, my pastor Dennis in Texas has had the, the biggest impact mm-hmm. because he never pulled any punches. And um, he, he what was... What do you mean by that? Uh, he, he would tell me when I'm full of it. Mm. Um, he said, you're sounding like a, a Baptist. And I went, well, I are one. And and so he he would challenge me when I would when I would crawl back into my comfort zone. He would challenge me and it pulled me out. He would challenge you when you kind of went. Well, why do you believe that? Well, because it's what I've always believed. Instead of here's where's the scriptural backing? Yeah. For that? And why do you really believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Give me the proof. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's had the biggest impact on me in, in a lot of ways because um, he's helped me to see that that um, God has more in store yeah. for Janet and I. You know, one of the things I'm learning right now is life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And um, coming to North Carolina, it is clear that the Lord has prepared the way for us, provided your mom some of the best medical care and doctors that money could buy. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But we had to come to North Carolina to get them. Yeah. So provided you with a job. Oh, phenomenal. that had a little more freedom. Uh huh. To allow you to care for mom. Exactly. And not have to work three jobs at 70 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. So God's been good. God has been very faithful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so he said a long time ago to me, he said, I will not desert you, nor will I forsake you. It was one of the rhemas. Mm -hmm. And we have truly have seen that our whole life. Yeah. But it seems like right now it's in, it's kind of in warp speed. It's Mm -hmm. just happening really quick. And but we're in a time where it's actually a life and death season. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome, baby. Talking with me and <laughs> it's been my privilege sharing that with us. Yeah. So someday when you have a radio show, <laughs> a right, real radio right, show, yeah, well, yeah, a real one <laughs> right there next to Rush, you can oh. give them the female perspective. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes, we'll we'll just we'll just throw that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Hey, it could happen. <laughs> it could. Yes, it, it could. It could happen. So right. well thank you. Thank Love you. you. Love you too. All right. All right. Bye. That's <laughs> not a phone conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>